0: Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at UpNext in Commerce.
1: Brands in a competitive environment have a really clear voice and perspective on things. And they're willing to take a stand and say, here's what we believe. Because consumers from an engagement perspective are much more likely to go there. If you don't have voice, if you don't have a perspective, you won't have engagement.
0: Jumping into the DTC space after operating only in retail is a tricky tightrope to walk. You have already established partnerships that you don't want to jeopardize and a consumer base that you don't want to cannibalize. But you also want to bring innovation and new products to your loyal customers. And you want to build more personal relationships with them along the way. So how do you win in all those areas? Or can you even win? We brought Andy Judd to the show to find out. Andy's the CMO at Yaso and finding the answer to those questions is currently at the top of his to-do list. Yasso sells frozen yogurt bars, which side note are the most delicious thing I've ever tasted. They just recently began their journey into the world of D2C. Ultimately, Andy knows that building a profitable D2C arm of the business is one of the toughest challenges in the e-commerce industry today, especially when you're shipping frozen goods. But he's done it before and is tapping into all his knowledge he's built up from prior roles at companies like One Brands and even Campbell's Soup. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Andy tells us what the move to D2C has been like so far including the added challenges to logistics when it comes to shipping frozen novelties and what strategies he's been using to ensure transparency with retail and third-party partners and why he wants everyone listening to understand that ROAS is not the same thing as ROI. Enjoy this episode and maybe even a Yasso bar. Up next in commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce, connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com commerce. Before we get into the episode, I would love it if you could hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review. I really wanna know what you think and hear how we're doing. All right, on to the interview. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postals, co-founder and CEO at Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Andy Judd, the Chief Marketing Officer at Yasso. Andy, welcome.
1: Thank you, Stephanie. Great to be here and look forward to today's discussion.
0: Excited to have you here. Like I said, I am getting hungry now thinking about this conversation. My stomach actually just rumbled. I don't know if anyone heard that, but that's how I feel about this conversation today. It's going to be a good one.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. I think we've got a lot of exciting things happening on the business um, that uh, I, I think we can offer some some interesting perspective to the community.
0: Cool. So I saw that you have been in the CPG space for over a decade, starting all the way back at good old Campbell's soup. Which I'm like, that's a good uh, good history there of really knowing what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I, I've been extremely blessed and fortunate to work at some great companies uh, along the road, both large you know, blue chip companies like Campbell's down to you know, smaller emerging uh, businesses uh, like Yasso today. Each of them is definitely different. Uh, culturally, business model, go-to-market, marketing approaches, not only from the size of the businesses, but also uh, what's taken place over time. I, I appreciate you said one decade um, uh, in that lead up, it is a bit longer than that. I think but, I said
0: over, uh, but I just didn't want to, I didn't over, put numbers. Yes. <laughs>
1: I appreciate you not going all the way to two, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I've, I've been very blessed to, to work great companies, great, amazing teams, um, and, and leaders, uh, that have shaped a, a lot of my thinking. And now I'm happy to hopefully give back some, some of, uh, whatever wisdom I've collected back to, to your community too.
0: Cool. Start. I want to hear like from a very high level, how do you view the food and beverage industry today compared to maybe, you know, even just a couple of years ago, like how has it changed and how did that lead you to creating Yasso?
1: Yeah, I, I, the the speed of change is definitely picking up pace and, and I'm not even talking about the realities of the, the past year um, because that's a whole different kind of situational change. But the the speed of change has definitely changed a a lot. When when I started my career, you know, there was a very set number of customers and you had a lot of customer consolidation happening. Um, But then really the the marketing landscape started to evolve. Obviously, around 2008, 2010, Facebook came on and and just rewrote the the playbook uh, dramatically. You know, it took a while to internalize that, particularly in the food space. I think we were a, a little slower uh, to, to adaptation um, analytically I don't think we were quite ready for for that moment but once we, we kind of got our feet underneath us as a, as a space it really took off and and now it's 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 how fast can you run to the newest platform to get the most efficiency um, b- before the system goes particularly as an emerging brand you know um, finding those places where I can flank get the most bang for for my limited, Dollar set versus some of the larger spenders um, is really important, uh, and I think it's bred a a new capability set for today's marketing leaders that is constant evolution. I you know while yes I've run to some varying degrees the same purchase funnel mm-hmm. um, you know the activity that's happened within it wildly different. Uh, I gave a speech to my alma mater and some marketing students and, and walk them through like when, when I started my career, here's what we did. We ran TV commercials and a newspaper based FSI, waited 18 months to see if it worked and then probably made decisions before we even got those results to do it again. Yeah. Um, and it's just wildly different uh, from how we activate today.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you have all this experience, I'm guessing you're starting to see opportunities. What led you to Yaso and what did that process look like?
1: Sure. So, yeah, I joined the Yasa team a little over a year ago and um, had, had known the, the founders uh, for, for a bit and known our, our CEO for even longer. And like many moments um, where they recognize the, the step change from kind of the what got you here won't get you there uh, brought in a new management team to implement, you know, a, a double down, uh, on, on the growth strategy. So great, great product. Uh, I, I won't talk too much about the great product cause you are hungry. Um, <laughs> but, it, but it is, it is a fantastic product, mm-hmm. super creamy, super delicious, great nutritional clean label. It really does have all the components, but really it was, you know, a bit landlocked, uh, on the East coast founded and formed in Boston. Um, and, you know, this team is rapidly building out that distribution footprint, um, investing and in, in building the brand.
0: I also like, how can you go wrong when the founders are kindergarten friends? I mean, that uh, sold me right absolutely. away. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Drew and Amanda, I will say this, have been um, just fantastic to work with, um, both in the principles they set as an organization from a company culture perspective, and how we value employees, and, and what we what benefits we give them, to you know how we make an impact in our community. Um, we we do have a five hundred one c three nonprofit organization called G- Game On Foundation, um, that's a big part of it, and then just this amazing product. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a marketer, you know I love that moment where it's like build a brand. Here's this amazing foundation.
0: Yep. So, what did your first Ninety days look like. Like, what did you come in? And you're like, of course, you always come in and kind of study things, see how things are working. But then, what did your first ninety days look like? What did your playbook look like to, you know, start solving some problems there?
1: Sure, it was a busy first ninety days. Um, I had just come off of um, a, another transaction um, and was one of the last management members uh, to to join the the organization, um, and so marketing. To, to some extent, um, needed to, to catch up. Um, we were also moving the company from Boston to, to Boulder in that moment. And so there was definitely a, a, a team rebuild that, that happened there. So first 90 days was establishment of strategy, getting you know, the structure identified, and, and a lot of recruiting,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, while simultaneously starting to build the components of activation to, to get us to ice cream season. Uh, in in 2020, which we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit about, you know, the sheer pivot that that took place. So strategy, put that, put the playbook in place, get the key components, the critical components lined up, get the right team.
0: Well, so you were just mentioning old school close tactics. What what are you talking about with those? For anyone who's not aware, yeah,
1: I mean, like literally couponing. Okay. I mean, like I'm not kidding. Um, now. That, that ev- evolution of incentive-based um, uh, activation has changed, right? The platform uh, in which you may do that today uh, looks a lot different than the platforms that we used to do that uh, a while ago mm-hmm. um, on. But yeah, I, I think there's, there's reality to finding consumers um, and giving them incentives um, and, and into trial and activating, you know, at that first moment of truth in, in, in retail, it's not a it is not a largest um investment, but it's an important one mm-hmm. um, as we think through that funnel, particularly in a in a category like this, where you know taste is so critical uh that if if I can get someone to push past that by giving them a, a little bit of an incentive mm-hmm. and then know that my product is just lights out uh, is is a great way to do it
0: yep, and are these? coupons digital? Are they emailing coupons out? Like how are, how are you guys? Um, Yeah.
1: I mean, it's, it's a, it's a number of different. um, uh, So we definitely operate that on a, or or owned basis through, through, through CRM. Mm -hmm. Um, So we definitely give incentives through, you know, kind of consumers that we've got into our ecosystem. Um, That is by far the the most valuable ones, right. Which is, you know, keeping those people moving. Then there is um, outreach programs like Ibotta that that we've used, Shipt, um, Instacart, which also have obviously a, a shopping mechanism to them uh, to to drive trial. Uh, I'm sure we'll get into that um, at some details. We talked broader omni-channel implications, and then yeah, and then some in-store placements, tried and true. You know, IRCs at shelf to draw the consumer away. We, this is a definitely a very open trial-based category where. You know, I want to try new things, and I'm looking for options. And if I can grab a, a millisecond uh, of that scan at shelf by violating that with a with a save, definitely can do that. So yeah, it's definitely all components digitally, organic and owned, uh, as well as you know in retail.
0: So let's dive into Omnichannel, which you mentioned a little bit ago. Tell me a bit about how you guys you know had to potentially pivot post COVID. How you worked with your retail partners? I mean, I know that. We are talking about how it can get kind of tricky too when you're, you know, I guess overly heavy on retail. And then all of a sudden you're maybe trying to shift to D to C and you don't want to make your retail partners sad. Like, how did you guys think about that and explore that, especially over the past year?
1: Sure. So this brand was, I, I don't want to say hundred percent retail when, when I, when I joined, but for, for this purpose is let's, you know, let's say it, it was a hundred percent retail, very limited investment, even on concierge-based programs like Instacart, or even you know no uh, investment on you know platforms like like Fresh or mm-hmm. Walmart.com. Like it was very limited in 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 that regard, and there was no DTC at that moment. Some of that is driven um, by frozen temperature state, uh, right? I I don't think anyone has fully you no know, third-party platform has fully figured out. Um, that, that last mile in full temperature state. Retailers are definitely getting there closer and closer. Fresh is definitely pushing um, the, the boundaries there um, and and building out an incredible footprint. Mm-hmm. And, and I think COVID has exacerbated or built a lot of momentum to, to figuring out that for for refrigerated and, and frozen temperature state products. We had already had that in our plan. Um, I think the all indicators of, of the consumer behavior was headed that way. COVID just made that evolution go faster. So per my earlier point on like change is just getting faster, like mm-hmm. COVID made this change faster. Uh, and so the dramatic shift that we saw, we knew we had to run uh, pretty pretty quickly. So we were already, you know, strategically aligned to, to what that would look like. Um, and for us, that is, you know, four primary com- components of, of Channel. One is, is obviously TTC, and we'll, we'll talk about the the intricacies there. Two it is 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 the concierge based programming uh, and making sure that we're, we're actively engaged um, there. Three is third party, uh, and four is is partnership with retail uh, pri- primarily through um, online pickup uh, and delivery. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about DTC, it, it is that's one component. But given that we're frozen temperature state, you know, we really have to. I have to think broadly um, because the logistical challenges of working through, you know, shipping individual frozen Greek yogurt bars to a consumer's home and making sure that it gets there and it's not a, a puddle of froyo um, is yeah. is really is really challenging. It, particularly in an environment where you know FedEx is flush with volume, logistics providers still haven't fully um, come to terms with with the incremental volume in the system. So it's it's definitely not without its operational logistical challenges, but four components yep. for us as, as we thought through that strategy and we're diligently building each of them up. Um, some of them simultaneously and some of them we've you know kind of said, hey, we'll, we'll come to that one in a bit because these are more critical to success in the short term.
0: Yeah. So tell me a bit about the, before we get more into the four pillars and the you know, omni-channel piece, I do want to maybe jump into the operations aspect of how did you figure out this, you know, frozen shipping in a way that maybe others haven't so far?
1: Yeah. So let's, let's start with our product DNA first. We make, you know, frozen novelties in in a bar shape. So there's, there's no forgiveness in in that delivery. I mean, we have to be pretty flawless um, against that. Unlike, you know, let's say uh, frozen fruit or even frozen ice cream pints, Mm-hmm. right? Like that can have a little bit of give, yeah. um, and it, and it will refray you know, the, the pint carton will, will hold its shape and, and kind of refreeze. Um, if there's, you know, anything, they're no different than when you, you come home from, from the store. Mm-hmm. Novelties does not have that. If I have a little bit of give, um, that's not going to refreeze and, in, in what I believe our brand lives up to from a, a taste and sensorial experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so first and foremost was, we did a ton of pressure testing uh, uh, through thermal, through a, a pretty in-depth thermal testing program. Um, we vetted a number of different uh, logistics partners, different packaging constructs, weights of dry ice, amounts of dry ice, what happens in delays, because we saw a lot of delays on ground shipping. Hey, should we be ship, you know, should we shipping air freight and taking discounts until the volume figured out? We did a ton of pressure testing. And each of our products is also a little different. We make frozen yogurt bars. We also make frozen yogurt um, ice cream sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's also, we've got a lot of different forms, even within our portfolio um, that require a, a lot of diligence. So ton of diligence upfront, because at the end of the day, when we're asking consumers to buy our product, it is not a small price point to for us to get over the hurdle of the cost of, of that seamless experience mm-hmm. um, it's it's not small so we want you know, our goal is is definitely very very low fail rates um, through that so a lot of operational diligence up front
2: mm-hmm.
1: a lot of understanding of routes and, and what geography we do we have a a, a retail sales rep that lives in Phoenix uh, and uh, he got a lot of product and that are in those early days because we use that as our like that is that's the worst case scenario yeah if we can survive to Phoenix in August, yeah, I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll be okay. Um, so a lot of a lot of upfront thermal testing, and then and then engineering on the actual platform was also a little a good amount of diligence, and we're still evolving that as you always should be. Um, your selling platform, in my opinion, should be a living a living platform, uh, for lack of a better word. It should never get um, complacent with the architecture of that. Yeah, you know, devil is in the details on winning the the SEM game, winning how consumers uh, work through your site, uh, winning on how you keep them in the fold and and get to repeat levels. We have a really high repeat level Mm -hmm. um, that's really important uh, to to us. Um, So yeah, so diligence upfront operationally, diligence on making sure the platform works right. And then once you start activating, the the worst case scenario would be having someone have an experience that's anything less than superb.
0: Mm -hmm. Cool. so what does from a high level that back end look like, you know, we settled on dry ice or we didn't, we settled on a really good cooler. Like I'm thinking about this one cooler, the ship breast milk, it stayed frozen for four days for me. I was like, whoa, this cooler is like yeah. a Yeti, but uh, like, I mean, but sadly there was nothing you could do with it afterwards. So like, what did you guys land on and what does that behind the scenes process look like now?
1: Yeah. And, and also sustainability was, was yeah. an important factor for us and making sure that, you know, whatever format we were delivering in, we didn't want to deliver a format that would, would have a negative footprint uh, on, on the earth either. So, yeah, we had, we had that extra variable, both the, the, the product, you know, sustainability, surviving, like what happens if there's a day delay, mm-hmm. um, right? If there's a day delay on an ambient product, there's a day delay. Um, most consumers don't get terribly upset by that. Um, if there's a day delay on a frozen Greek yogurt bar, that is a melted product. Yeah. Um, uh, because that dry ice won't won't last forever. So for for us, it was it was a lot of diligence. We settled in on a really good package. We 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 do use that insulated um, foam that put water on it and it it, it will dissolve. Uh, and so it was important for us to get that right. But getting like we're talking about nuances of a half of an inch mm-hmm. of that insulation, uh, nuances of two to three incremental pounds of extra dry ice um, to ensure that it, it really was uh, a fairly detailed and and i I hope our if our third party partner is listening or ever does listen to this they they know uh, one I'm appreciative and two uh, we we definitely put it through the ringer uh, on getting that de- those details right
0: yep awesome all right let's move over to the four pillars because I think that's a really Tricky Balance, where you were talking about D2C, third party, retail, concierge. And I want to kind of hear how you balance all four of those in a way that keeps everyone, including you guys, happy.
1: Yeah. So, um, and we think about them a little bit uh, about how we also, who, who we want activating through each of those. They, for us, incremental reach and incremental consumers in, in, into the Yaso franchise is really important. I mean, each of them plays a little bit of a different role uh, and, and who we're, we're targeting. Our, our DTC business is primarily, you know, pretty deep loyals because you know it's a it's a pretty big price point, as well as it's you know our 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 current baseline pa- standard pack is an eight count. Mm-hmm. It takes up a little bit of room in your freezer too. So you got to you got to love uh, Yasso bars, um, which I, yeah, as we launched, we found like that wasn't a problem. Yeah. Uh, we we definitely found some people that that love Yasso bars and could you know uh, take that that volume on. So that was a, a deep loyalty pool. you know it enabled us to get long uh, you' know, come with some of our tail skews and smart fan favorites um, available people get innovation in their hands early, uh, the, those things. Concierge to us was was a big win, particularly in 2020 when a lot of consumers ran and we were able to to pivot some of our investment and marketing dollars over there quickly. Um, we had played around on the platform and then we had you know back to your 90 days question. I had brought on, someone on, on, on our team uh, that was able to get in there, get on the self-serve side of things, had experience with that on other platforms, able to work in partnership with, you know, platforms like Instacart and, and shipped and really build that up. And we started running to dollars to that. Mm-hmm. I have a general principle, um, double and double and double and double until it breaks, mm-hmm. right? Double into that ROAS really starts to decay at a rate. And then you know where where your, your ceilings are. Um, and so for us, that was a really important one particularly in a frozen temperature state mm-hmm. we knew consumer behavior was rapidly changing we knew we could activate because we had the, the structure and the people in place to, to do so and, and go really win on getting particularly on buy it again we knew that as new consumers were coming to that platform I don't remember the stat I heard it was something like they had anticipated 30 million new households for the year of 2020 and they achieved that by like April yeah. um, uh, and so it was definitely a double down uh, on, on those those types of platforms. And then you know we had had some initial discussions with Fresh, but it really was at a pretty good standstill. We weren't operating on that platform relative to how we operate at retail, and brought in a new partner to help us expedite our assortment on the platform, um, begin um, doing some more focused work uh, on our side for advertising uh, and uh, and building out you know detail pages, et cetera, and and, and really getting to a, a much better landing place there. And that has been a, a really um, nice uh, win for, for us. And then the last, the last pillar is, is that retail piece. And, and that one, I, I think, is evolving um, because I think customers, there were definitely some customers that were ahead of that curve, more in general merchandising, um, though, than anything, and definitely in some food categories, but definitely not in frozen and refrigerated food. And we've seen a, a definite increase Um, from the prioritization of customers wanting to ensure that their platforms are in a good place. And we've seen a lot more requests for dollars flowing to help them build those platforms out. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're trying to balance is, you know, how do I see each of those um, platforms or pillars working together? And how do I spend the dollars accordingly? A lot of analytical rigor to that but uh, but it's important uh, to to be really ready and uh, and flexible and, and flow those dollars um, to where you can get the, to the low CPCs, um, you know the highest ROAs, highest incrementality of households. We have third party analytic partner that helps us do look at ROIs because mm-hmm. ROAs does not mean ROI. If I could impart any wisdom to, to marketers out there that don't haven't lived that yet, uh, ROAs doesn't take into account incrementality. So. Um, It's, it is a a complement of, of different analytical approaches to help us flex those dollars across each of those pillars.
0: Yep. I completely agree. So are there any good lessons or learnings from, you know, going onto all those platforms, figuring it out, trying to pull them together eventually? Are there any good lessons from that, that other people can take away and hopefully avoid?
1: Sure. Yeah. I'll give you an example, not necessarily from, from my YASO days, but some prior learnings that I had at, at a previous company it is a, um, a gray space, and as, as much as we're operating in these environments, whether it's DTC or third-party platforms, retailers are, are also operating in these. And a lot of the questions we get is like, are you gonna be sourcing volume from my, my retail um, in order to sell on, on these platforms directly? And I think having those conversations with particularly important retailer uh, partners up front is important to help them understand how you're targeting why, why it's good to, to bring net incremental people into the, the, the total business. And that helps you know, all boats rise, mm-hmm. um, how you're going to work with them uh, through pricing strategy in particular, um, how you're going to work through them with promotional and merchandising that doesn't create overlap. I have an example on, on Black Friday uh, from a couple of years ago, there was a, a retail partner uh, that was a, a very important retail partner. Uh, it was, you know, and protein bars and they operated heavily on Amazon. We operated heavily on Amazon. They were going to have their Amazon push for Black Friday. We were going to have our Amazon push for, for Black Friday. And we didn't get a far enough ahead with them to decide who's doing what and how that may collide at the buy box. Uh, and thankfully we decided to start our promotion early on on Tuesday um, because if we had started one day later, that collision would have happened, and no one would have been in the office to try and rectify it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happened is they they ran a, a you know kind of a, a site wide promotion across a number of the different brands that they sell as a, as a broad retailer, and that discount you know stole the buy box and uh, uh, and eroded a lot of you know, our our media metrics. You know we had obviously some some inventory challenges lined up. But thankfully, we were able to work through that and and get it cleaned up. It had you know it it had some implication with Google shopping as well. So it was a you know multifaceted problem. It also gave us the opportunity to have like use that case as a as a way to talk through that with that retailer in the future, mm-hmm. about lining up merchandising collectively, um, not independently. Um, and, and that's not to suggest that we were you know comparing pricing. It was just more about, talking through our approaches and what the implications on their platforms would be our platforms Amazon as a platform uh, overall I thought it led to a, a really collaborative place uh, overall but it is sticky right it is it's a bit of a front of me reality right they, they are competing but they're also your partners in retail and so establishing guardrails and being transparent we've found has been very helpful uh, because we're, we' again, I operate from, you know, positive intent. We're all here to do the same thing, Mm -hmm. um, which is, you know, to, to, to drive growth and to, you know, get the consumer the the right product that they want at the right time.
0: Yep. So how do you go about talking to your retail partner to explain, you know, the incrementality piece and this is good for everyone type thing? Like how would you go about doing that in a way that makes sense to everyone?
1: Yeah, luckily in, in the last few years, I've worked on some great brands um, that do have great stories of, about bringing in higher value consumers uh, into the fold and figuring out ways um, to create total value um, that they may not get. And some of that is, hey, you, you don't have this portion of the portfolio within your, you know, on your catalog um, for for whatever. Uh, site you you may be selling to that's something that we can we can definitely like I talked earlier about you know innovation as a way to get ahead you know if a, if a retailer doesn't opt into that innovation you know that's okay uh, we we definitely want you to sell our core business and and operate there but we want to get our most loyal consumers our innovation it also gives us proof cases um, that we can then go back to the retailer and say like hey this is this is a platform that's a little more vetted and, and um, has been cleared um, by our, by our consumer that. Hey, it's got proof here this is an opportunity now for for you to to take that to, to new consumers. It's also important for us to draw clean mapping to the, that consumer persona mm-hmm. um, who's shopping uh, online and who's shopping in retail um, what they're looking for and we've been very diligent about keeping that clean saying here's who this is on my platform, here's who this is on third parties, here's who this is in your store and collectively that is a really nice story and that's I think why we've had um, some success recently uh, on outpaced growth relative to uh, to the marketplace.
0: yeah. I mean, it seems like it'd be really tricky keeping track of those consumers, seeing the online versus offline and you know where are they originating from and you know who's attributing to what sale? like how do you go about managing all that data and keeping track of it, especially since you're you know in so like on so many platforms?
1: yeah, I, I mentioned it a bit earlier, but we do have a um, a partner that um, does regression-based marketing uh, real-time marketing mix analyses for for us, and and we use them as a way to delineate the incrementality. That gives us a, a broad view to our mix, um, but that also helps us to understand you know which platforms to to, to bet on uh, one one from the other. We we add about I think we're at eighteen different variables mm-hmm. um, uh, in that modeling, and some of those variables are literally platform level variables, and some of those are you know. Um, different types of campaign level variables. And so it's, it is not without a, a lot of rigor, but building the model up front. And I, I apologize if I keep using some of those keywords, but take the diligence to really think about what the data sets are that are going to come at you and establish what they really tell you back to my comment, about ROAS is not ROI. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's not important, but it's, it's not. And having a, a, data system and a dashboarding approach and an operational cadence by which you analyze those and bringing the, all partners into that for transparency, it clears the air. Um, I think I've I worked with partners before that have, have given us feedback that nobody ever tells us this, right? Or, and and our objectives are never your objectives, right? They're always different, mm-hmm. right? And, and so, getting alignment up front and clarity of data flow is, I think, is one of those pieces. No different than the diligence we talked about earlier on frozen fulfillment. A lot of diligence up front (laughs) pays off uh, down down the road and actually enables a ton of flexibility. It's just really painful. If I could offer any guidance to to winning an omni-channel, it's details, Mm -hmm. focus on details. Uh, because the the more detailed oriented you are, the better your system will be and the, the better you'll understand implications of changes.
0: Yeah. I could see partnerships being lost because, you know, of you guys maybe coming in there and being like, here's the data points we need. Here's kind of like how things work, which, you know, maybe it needs to be lost if someone doesn't want to do that. But like, what are the most important data points that you ask from a partner that maybe, um, they weren't comfortable with sharing at one point, but now many are on board with doing that. Like, what do you go in saying like, this is the requirements, here's what we need. And which ones where they may be more hesitant to share?
1: Yeah, it, it is, you know, the propensity or the, the you know, default position of the retailers is not necessarily to, to share. And that's not, I don't think in, in, in the spirit of not being a, a partner, it's in, in the spirit of like, you know, obviously their, their goal is uh, uh, is to build the category, not necessarily any individual brand and're they're, they're trying to optimize total pool of brands to, to, to elevate their entire category. Yep. Um, and so obviously they don't want to do anything that, that could be detrimental to the totality of, of that category growth or um, detrimental to to other brand partners that, that they may have. Yep. Some of that is is opting in. Some of that is, is dollars and cents. Um, there are a number of retailers that have really great platform, platforms for, for data. And, and some of that is, is opting into those. Um, we've made it a purpose um, to be data centric and uh, how we approach not just our retail business or our, our e-commerce business, like all, all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that may lead to a little bit of a higher you know, non-working, working ratio for, for what it uh, may be but that makes us a lot more efficient with all the working dollars yep. um, in that. And so some of it is dollars and cents and, and opting into their, into their platforms. Some of it is having a clarity of that strategy I mentioned earlier, like who's, here's who I serve by platform. And you're know, almost drawing a line that says, here's how I view the world. How do you view the world? Um, and soliciting that. Um, but sometimes it, it means going in with a point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they may not share that point of view, but at least they'll declare, I don't share this point of view. Yeah. Uh, and so opt-in, have a point of view, and then, you share results. Also, I think it has to be a two-way street. If I'm unwilling to tell them, here's how I'm operating in a direct model, why would I ask them to then tell me what it looks like in an online pickup or delivery model? So I think there has to be some reciprocity um, that comes along to that. So don't be scared to buy data and and be more data-centric. Be clear about your point of view. um, And and then, you will have a partnership and and be okay with some transparency that you otherwise may be um, not willing to do in the first place.
0: Yeah. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about customer acquisition. How are you guys, you know, acquiring customers and what are your most successful channels right now? Or what is, what are some big bets that you're making in like new platforms where maybe you're like, we weren't on TikTok before, but now we are like, what are you guys exploring right now?
1: Yeah. I, I, you know, yes is, is the answer always. Uh, I, I, I love um, our our team has got a great, I think pulse for for that and a, and a great flexibility for adapting to that. And it's not just sometimes it's not just new platforms. Sometimes it's new activations on current platforms. I think Reels taught us a, all a good lesson this year. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously TikTok w- was uh, a, a great piece uh, of the puzzle over, over the last couple of years. Uh, so yeah, organically, yeah, definitely continuing to 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 build that out. I think from a, a paid perspective on new platforms for, for us. I would say the retail environment is definitely pretty evolving. You know, other retailers are, are pushing their platforms more and bringing on new uh, media partners. You know, Target had, had their big push. I think it was two years ago when they made their media mm-hmm. uh, change. So yeah, I think retail is an ever-evolving world because they're recognizing, you no know, different to, to some degree than you know, the Amazons of the world, that they're both, yes, retailer, but they're also a media marketplace. Yep. And if I can get a little more down funnel, right, purchase or awareness, consideration and purchase, you know, they're operating in that consideration bucket because I'm already actively involved in, you know, food buying um, behavior. And so I think that's a really interesting place to be playing. Yaso, in particular at this life stage, though, we are moving significantly in that top of funnel place. Um, and so it, it isn't necessarily new platforms, but it's new to us. Um, because we're we're reaching growth levels, which is a, such an exciting moment for any brand, where you know we have the opportunity to make investments in in, in larger platforms. Um, and so this this past year, we did a lot of vetting on, on awareness based platforms that uh, otherwise wouldn't we wouldn't have have probably bet on. Mm-hmm. But you know, streaming audio was a, a you know big win for us in this past year. I think COVID definitely helped uh, consumers even more so um, uh, get in, get into that, um, uh, like podcast, you mean, when you say- um, yeah, yeah, like podcasts. Okay. Um, well, well done. That was, uh, <laughs> yes. Like, like podcasts and, and even, even just, um, uh, you know, music is, as, as well. Okay. Um, but I, I think those platforms have become a bigger play, which for, for traditional food probably hasn't been top, top box consideration, for, for media plays, but it has have done really well for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then OTT, I think, continues to to, to build. Um, and so those are new, not necessarily new platforms, but new to us. And when when we think about where we are in our life stage, that gives us opportunities to rethink our total funnel. And that's really exciting, right? So it's, it's hey, we have the availability to go anchor to spending dollars that are scalable on, on some of these platforms that we otherwise probably wouldn't have been able to afford uh, originally. Mm-hmm. And now really evolving our, our down, down funnel work with retailers um, in, in a different way. So it's it's evolving, but it's uh, it's pretty exciting actually. Uh, I think that is one of the benefits I've seen from this past year is it's it's moved our industry um, forward and our retailer partners forward. Um, obviously, they've it's not to suggest they were at zero state by any means, but I think mm-hmm. it's definitely built a lot of momentum.
0: Yeah. And when you're thinking about creating good creatives for these new platforms that you're on, how do you go about making something that really differentiates you guys? Because now, I mean, it feels like your space is pretty competitive now. Like, How do you stand out? How do you make ads and audio content that really you know sets you apart from everyone else?
1: Yeah, I, I think we've been, um, since we came on, we've thought diligently about like the balance of internal, external um, creative capabilities, um, where we need uh, a differential expertise, where we need flexibility internally. And and again, diligence upfront, right? Mm So that declaration of your brand, what it stands for, what it looks like, being very clear with that. um, So that, you know, as you disseminate across the internal and external content creators, whether that's, you know, influencer-based or UGC or whatever it is, like, you know, like, this is it. Um, And this is what it, what it looks like so that your brand identity is, is well done. And then I think voice is an interesting place that's been, you know, in voice in two ways. One is having perspective. Uh, I think brands that are able to separate themselves to your point on the competitive environment have a really clear voice um, and perspective on things. Um, And they're willing to take a stand and say, here's what we believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because consumers from an engagement perspective, are much more likely to go there. Um, it, it could bring polarization components to it. Definitely, that's that's a possibility. But it won't bring engagement, right? So mm-hmm. if you don't have voice, if you don't have a perspective, you won't have engagement. It's it's kind of one of those. So so perspective is one, and, and then and then for us in particular in our category, I, I think having a, a definitive sense of humor, uh, you know, it's a joyful snacking experience, right? I think. I typically don't see a lot of people eating our food without the intention of elevating um, yeah. their mood. Uh, you can't eat but, it
0: with a sad face. It, <laughs> no, right? Well,
1: You can't. I mean, you can. I mean I, there's the old adage of the like, you know, the the breakup with the with the ice cream. Okay, but you're doing it to that's more elevate ice cream. Yeah, yeah you're doing it to yourself, right? So, yeah, um, most people don't enter that space without the intention of enjoying the experience. Mm-hmm. And so, I think it's important for us to bring that levity and, and humor to, uh, to to our voice. So. Having perspective, having a good sense of humor that's definitive and unique, and having clear uh, sense of our direction uh, is really important. And the last piece I would just say is, is contextual, right? So not yeah. all creative is the same uh, uh, across. Uh, our organic um, content team, I think does a great job with here's what works in Twitter and here's what works in TikTok and here's what works on stories versus reels versus feed and, yeah. and bringing that to, to the game as well.
0: I agree based on some of the things I've seen. All right, let's move over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Andy? Yes, I'm ready. First, what one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year?
1: What one thing will have the biggest impact uh, on, on e-commerce? I would say last, for me, last mile. I, I, think, I think the last mile will, is going to take a big step forward um, this next year. I think a lot of companies got caught flat-footed um, on it. Um, they've spent the better part of last year figuring it out. Um, and uh, I think you're going to see more platforms, retail platforms, figuring out last mile and betting big um, on it.
0: Yep. Yeah, I agree. That's a good one. What's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for you?
1: Um probably I, I love the word two words two of my favorite words thank you um so i will always take a, a thank you i think it's and i always try and give them um just because i everybody's working really hard right now it, it, like personally professionally and I, I just think uh the smallest thing you can do is just to say thank you yeah so thank you for having me stephanie I
0: was gonna say thank you for coming on the show Andy. <laughs> <laughs> what one thing do you not understand today that you wish you did
1: what one thing do I not understand today uh, that I that I wish I did? Ooh, that's, there's so many things that I don't understand. You, no, I, I think the 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 biggest one I wish I I had a better feel for, honestly, was you know how to how to get ahead on on, on new organic platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know uh, that that's definitely one of the the tougher tougher ones. I think we've built a good flexible ability to adapt to evolutions within platforms, um, but which ones to bet on just because there's so many. I think that's one I, I wish I had a better gut feel for it um, to, to be able to, to, to jump there faster. As an emerging brand, I feel like that's one of our core competencies is the flank approach and not getting trapped um, in, in, the, in the big game. And, and, and I wish I had a better, a better feel for emerging organic platforms.
0: Yeah, that does seem tricky to stay on top of, to be a, to be the first one on there, or to be the one that can organically, you know, grow, because it does always say like there's a lot of arbitrage to be had on platforms yeah, in the beginning, absolutely. especially when they're trying to figure out their maybe advertising programs. Like I know TikTok for a while there, you could get really good maybe ROIs because, you know, the platform was so new, they're figuring out their program. Maybe that's gone now, but. That's that's a good one.
1: Well, and, and and that's the exact point is that it 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 does happen quickly too, and you know I I have seen brands be very successful, um and, and getting there first and and grabbing that that you know uh, that attention.
0: What's up next on your reading list?
1: Um, right now, what is next on my I'm looking over at my uh, at my books. Um, it is, and is, I'll show it to you. Here. Um, it is Hello Darkness, My Old Friend by Sandy Greenberg. Um, this is a book recommended by my father in law um, uh-huh. uh, about the story of Art Garfunkel's college friend who went blind um, in, in college and, and his journey. Uh, he's a, a, a lawyer um, uh, and um, it's just a, a, an incredible story. Uh, wow. So that is next on my reading list.
0: I'm writing that down. So, what was it, Hello?
1: Hello, Darkness, My Old Friend by Sanford Green, Greenberg or Sandy Greenberg. All right. Okay, so that sounds really Forward by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, by the way.
0: Oh, sweet. Okay, now I'm definitely checking it out. Yes.
1: All
0: right. And then the last one, what e-commerce tool or piece of tech are you experimenting or most bullish on right now? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I'm going to go back to our, our, our logistics um, mm-hmm. because I, I'm, I'm bullish that there's going to be a lot of um, progress uh, on sustainable um, packaging um, mm-hmm. over, over the ne- next coming years. And I think there's a lot, you know, like, I, as I mentioned earlier, having uh, sustainable frozen packaging is just fantastic. It, it makes us feel way better about, you know, continue to grow in this space, but I think there's going to be a lot of technology uh, in, in the packaging constructs. Um, there's a ton of waste in this space. I think brands are, are getting way more savvy, uh, around designing their first rather than trying to re-architect the other retail packs and then you know, doing the best they can. So uh, I'm excited to see what what comes in, in kind of more the, the operational side as much as anything. Um, that's a personal uh, passion uh, for me, but um, but I'm excited to see how that continues to evolve.
0: Awesome. That's a good one. All right, Andy. Well, thank you for coming on our show and sharing your insights. Where can people uh, learn more about you and Yaso?
1: Yeah. So you can, you can find us at yaso.com for sure. Instagram at Yasso um, are the best places. And you know you can find me on LinkedIn for sure.
0: Amazing. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Stephanie.
0: listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.